BreakFix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. Tonight's guest needs almost no introduction. He's been part of the NASCAR community for over 20 years. And Steve, the postman post, has been one of the mainstay voices of MRN for the past 13 years while carving out a niche in television projects, reporting, and being a talk show host for programs like The Winged Nation. He joins us tonight, and we pick up where part one of the IMRC's Life in the Fast Lane leaves off. Folks, picture it. Watkins Glen, December of 2017. And with that, let's welcome Steve to Break Fix. Hey, hey. Like I said, Steve, in the introduction, in part one, we were settling in at the MRN. You were talking about how Wing Nation was picking up speed, and you had just met your longtime hero, Pete Cordes. And it's been nearly seven years since then. So let's talk about where is Steve now? Take us on the journey from 2017 to 2024. Well, it's interesting because you held that cover up. And where I'm at is the hair is obviously longer. I think I've shed about 60 pounds since then, too. I've actually, I've seen some of those pictures that kind of pop up every once in a while. And it's been an amazing journey. It's been a remarkable journey and really, really good. Wow, where have I been in six years? A little bit of everywhere. And it's been all over the map, if you will. I guess big picture as far as the motorsports goes, just continuing on as the lead pit reporter now for Motor Racing Network. Absolutely love my work with MRN. I was sharing with some folks that as we wrapped up the 2023 season, I think this year I maybe enjoyed my NASCAR coverage and being part of the NASCAR coverage as much as any other year. And this is the 21st year that I've been on the road with MRN. So really, really enjoyed the season with NASCAR. Love being on pit road. I still just absolutely love the men and women who work on these cars, whether it's the technical engineers or the mechanical guys that are up under the car and inside of the car or those athletic pit crew members. I just absolutely marvel at how they work on these cars. Always cool to hang out with the drivers. Always cool just to get into the people involved with the sport. So have you learned the difference between a screwdriver and a ratchet since 2017? No, it's still served me well not to know the difference between that. I know what a hammer is. So I do know what a hammer is exactly. But no, as I shared in my visit back in 2017, and it was Eli Gold, the great broadcaster, the voice of Alabama football, many, many years with MRN. He says, you don't need to know the answers You just need to know the people and ask the questions to get the answers. And so I still don't know a ratchet or a socket wrench. Thus far, it's still served me all right in the past six years and the previous years to that. In addition to all your duties at MRN, you're also still part of Wing Nation. And like we were talking about, it was just picking up a head of steam back in 2017. So how have things progressed since then? Yeah, Wing Nation has just exploded. It's taken over my life, and that's a good thing. I really enjoy, I love Wing Sprint Car Racing. We had probably just started the MAV TV portion of the show, and so we have just wrapped up, as a matter of fact, the MAV TV portion. We're in such a beautiful time in communicating in the world, let alone sports, let alone motorsport. And what we found is the constraints of a 30-minute television program broken down in seven-minute segments. We just get someone started talking, and then it's like, hold that thought. 
we got to take a commercial break. There were some other behind the scenes issues with the program, some challenges with personnel, the timing of it. We'd had to record it on Monday. I'm telling you, you get home midnight, one o'clock in the morning or fly home Monday morning, you got to go straight to the studio and do the show. So the Mav TV portion of Wing Nation, we just closed that out. But what we're doing is we have a Tuesday show that will remain about what it is. And that's the nuts and bolts, the week in and week out. Who won this? Who won that? We'll interview at least one of the race winners, big newsmakers. If something's coming up, we'll preview it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit more podcasty storytelling where we sit down and we don't have those seven minutes. So when we get someone wound up on a topic, they can get going on the topic. So we're going to go a long form Wing Nation conversations. Also looking at some social media elements when I'm out at the racetrack. I'm going to be doing a fair number of sprint car races this year. And, you know, rather it's just good to three or four minute segment with a driver that we've not heard from. There's so many interesting characters. We're in a fascinating time with sprint car racing where there's even a split in big time sprint car racing with the world of outlaws and high limit. And everyone's worried about where everyone's going. Well, let's say High Limits gets eight drivers, and let's say the World of Outlaws get 12. That's 20 drivers. And we all know those 20 drivers. There are hundreds and hundreds of drivers at Lernerville Speedway and Silver Dollar Speedway and Houston Speedway and various racetracks. And we're going to kind of get in the trenches. And even if we go three, four minutes with some of these guys and gals and talk about who they are, we're going to tell a little bit of story. Our president of Motor Racing Network and MRN owns Wing Nation. Our president is like, who is telling the story of sprint car racing? And we're raising our hands. We're going to be the ones to do that in a little different format as we look at 2024. Originally, you had talked about coming up through oval track racing, especially asphalt. You got into dirt later, especially winged outlaw cars and things like that. Now you're heavily involved in that. Earlier this season, we had Lynn Paxton on and he gave us a tour of the EMMR, which is basically, you know, his museum, if you think about it. Who are some of the Hall of Famers, some of the people you've met now that you've had to kind of go back and relearn that world? Well, I'll tell you, first and foremost, Lynn Paxton is my go-to guy when it comes to things. We did a variety of live shows for years at Port Royal Speedway. And one of the shows we would do on our Saturday night program is all the Hall of Famers, all the classic drivers. And I said, I'll do this under one condition that Lynn Paxton will co-host it because Lynn knows everything about everybody and he knows every story about everybody, the true ones, the untrue ones, and all of those that fall in between. Lynn has always been a great resource to me as far as that goes. And it was fascinating. You mentioned Lynn Paxton. I always get a little bit of a chuckle. My local track was Five Mile Point down in the Binghamton area, which sadly, I think we've lost Five Mile Point. We were supposed to lose it last year. It got a stay of execution. But sadly, I think we've lost it this time. It looks like it's going away. And in 1972, there was a World of Outlaw race there. And I went to that race as a kid, never remembered anything about it. Now here I am doing Wing Nation. So I am in Lynn's Museum getting the grand tour as only Lynn can do. And he said, what's your background in sprint car racing? Well, I said, not a lot in sprint car racing, just as I shared with everybody at the talk six years ago, not a lot in sprint car racing. I said, there was a race at Five Mile Point I went to in 1972, World of Outlaw race, only 14 cars showed up and yada, yada, yada. He stands back and he gets this big grin on his face. And Lynn says, oh, you were at that race, were you? Yeah. And he says, you remember who won that race? I have no idea who won that race. He says, you're looking at Lynn Paxton actually won that race. And it was ironically 
the first World of Outlaw race in the state of New York, which I found out in talking with Lynn. I think the next night they ran up at Rolling Wheels, but it was the first outlaw race in the state of New York. So Lynn Paxton is certainly one of those historic people that I really, truly love to talk to. Another one from Pennsylvania is Fred Raymer. Fred Raymer is one of my favorite people on the planet. If you want to know an opinion, just ask Fred because he will share with you his opinion. There is very little gray in Fred's world. It is black or it is white, and he will gladly share with you. And I always look forward. I always make it to the pits and make sure I catch up before the races. And then after the race, we always have a cold, frosty beverage, Fred and I do. And we solve all the problems of the sprint car world and shake hands and go on our way. So Fred Raymer is one of those legendary, iconic people that I really enjoy. When you look at some of the younger legends of the sport, Darren Pittman is a guy that I just have huge respect for, really have enjoyed our visits. Darren is such an advocate, and this is whether it's a visit on Wing Nation or a visit in the pit area, Darren is like the foremost authority on safety in sprint car racing. And of course, all of auto racing, we always deal with safety. We always have those questions in whatever form. Darren is just a wealth of information on safety in sprint car racing. Always enjoy chatting with Joey Saldana. Joey is just such an interesting guy. So he looks like an accountant, but he drives like the Tasmanian devil. I mean, it's unreal how Joey Saldana is. Just such a great, great person in the sport. Great, great guy. And honestly, one of the guys, and he is future Hall of Famer. He's not there yet. But one of the guys that I have just truly enjoyed is Donnie Schatz, 10-time World of Outlaw champion. We just have hit it off really well over the course of time, Donnie and I have. So, you know, you get into the sprint car world, and when you're hanging out with guys like Donnie Schatz and you're interviewing guys like Sammy Swindell and Joey Saldana, Terry McCarl is another guy I love. Just spent some time with Terry at the World Finals at Charlotte. We solved all the world's problems in the trailer one night before we even got started. Really enjoy talking to the legends of the sport. Love the talent in the sport, the present talent in the sport, but love talking to the legends of the sport as well. I got two more names to throw at you. Damian Gardner. We recently sat down for a movie night with our friends at the International Motor Racing Research Center and watched his documentary about going from the West Coast version of Outlaws to doing land speed in a late model there. And so I'm wondering, have you had a chance to sit down with Damian the Demon? I had one chance with Damien probably seven years ago, Auto Club Speedway in Southern California. They did a tribute to the California short track racers. They had Brent Gating down, but they had Damien there. And I actually interviewed Damien on a stage show that we did there. And it is fascinating to listen to his stories about sprint car racing, the Demon. He certainly earned that nickname, but then the land speed and the things they did with that car and the way that that car went. I think that you have got to be a special, not wound too tight person to run a sprint car on a dirt track. Damian Gardner says, here, hold my beer. I'll show you what really whacked out is. And he is absolutely amazing. Great, great conversation we had there on the stage, actually, at Auto Club Speedway. Let's rewind the clock a little bit and talk about Pete Cordes and his wife, Judy. You were just reigniting that relationship in 2017. So how has that played out? Eric, I've dropped the ball on that one totally. Pete and I would talk to each other a couple times a year on the phone, and we would go, and about nine months ago, I crushed my phone. I'm not one of those people smart enough to back up anything, and I've lost numbers. I was up in the Binghamton area last week. I reached out and sent a Facebook message to the person that had got me Pete's number, and I haven't heard back from him yet. 
I've lost touch with Pete, but the goal is to get back with him here. And as soon as I get the number, that's going to be the next call I make. Uh, Within the next day or two, I'll be reaching out and touching base with Pete again. But it's just one of those things where once the season hits, I just lose mine. And the next thing you know, it's a month, it's two months, it's three months. And that's been multiple months since I've had a chance to catch up with Pete. And I hadn't caught up with him this year yet. And I literally was thinking about him, crushed the phone and haven't had a chance to double back. So I need to get on that one again. Well, you know, what's good about this is that he's still with us. So that's kind of awesome that that relationship, that friendship perpetuates and you guys will get back together soon enough. During part one, you also talked about, you know, moving to the Carolinas. So guessing you're still headquartered down there. And how are your girls? Girls are great. They are 25 and 22. They are living their respective dream lives. I have stressed to them that if their dad could move from northeastern Pennsylvania to North Carolina to try to get a job broadcasting races on the radio and do it, they need to pursue their dreams. And so my oldest daughter is doing well. She's 25 years old. She spends about half of her life here in, uh, in America. She spends the other half of her life in India she is a yoga instructor. Ayurvedics is a, a holistic medicine that she does. She is a counselor in that. And then some spirituality as well. She knows who she is. She's trying to figure out how to monetize it, but she's doing really, really well. And I love the path she's on because she's just as I did with my passion. She's chasing her passion. You chase your passion you'll figure out a way to how to make it work. She's doing really, really well. My youngest one is far more traditional in the went to college and did that. She is in what they call a gap year. She just wrapped up. She graduated from Charlotte with a theater degree, and she is literally not in school. She's working at a cat cafe. She's living with four roommates, and she's working at a dance studio. And it's been fascinating because she graduated in May. She said she wants to take a year before she starts doing anything. And over the Thanksgiving break, she's like, you know, Seattle has a really interesting theater scene. Of course, there's Chicago. Of course, there's New York. She said there's some other cities that have a really nice theater scene. So I think she's finding her way as well. And she'll do well also. So my girls are doing really, really well. I'm fortunate. As a matter of fact, we spent some time over Thanksgiving weekend up in Pennsylvania, all of us together. So they still like to hang out with dear old dad every once in a while. I share that in common with you. I have two girls as well. They're a lot younger. But one of the things we pride ourselves on here at Grand Touring is that we want to perpetuate motorsport into younger generations. And one of my biggest things that I subscribe to is make the kids part of your life, not really the other way around. And so I wondered from your original talk, if you were dragging the girls with you to the track, what their track life was like, did it rub off on them? Do they enjoy it in any way? Mine are still coming up. They're coming up through the sports car and endurance world. So they're seeing cars that they can relate to, you know, Lamborghinis and Porsches and things like that, that (laughs) they can relate to. I'm going to put air quotes around that. So what was it like for you as a dad with two girls in the world of motorsports? Sierra, my oldest one, really never caught on to it. And she's my free spirit, just never caught on with her. Now, Summer, my youngest one, she started going with me to the summer shootout. I do the Tuesday night summer shootout at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And she would go because of the cute boys out there at the racetrack. (laughs) Well, she's no longer going because of the cute boys, but she goes every week and she hangs out and watches and she knows all the storylines. So it's it's not nearly as involved as I am, but she still follows the sport. They all follow that. I mean, she, they know who wins the NASCAR races. They follow along. It's funny with Summer, though. I always uh, joke around with her. Ben Rhodes is our truck series champion, and now he's a two-time champion. I am not mistaken. I know one of these facts is maybe the other one is truthful. She may have been the first person to join the Little Ben Rhodes fan club when he was running a Legends car out at Charlotte. That may or may not be true. If not, she was second or third. 
The one thing I know is that he was her first celebrity crush. And I've busted her <laughs> and Ben about that. Ben is happily married and winning truck series championships. And she's doing her thing. So she follows along with it a little bit. Not nearly as much as dear old dad, but I think they have a really good respect. Some of her friend group now, they've started, they've got into watching the Formula One races. And so they'll get up on Sunday morning and do brunch and watch the Formula One races. And I think that's awesome. Racing is a social thing. And if she finds, if her friend group, if it's Formula One, if it's sprint cars, wherever it is. So I think that's really, really cool. You being in the profession of motorsports, you have to stay in tune with what's going on during your season in your discipline of motorsport. Is there a guilty pleasure? Is there another discipline in motorsport that you enjoy watching? Or maybe when you take some time off, you're like, you know what? I want to go check out a race over at X. What is X? I've been very, very fortunate with MRN's NASCAR coverage. We cover Cup, Xfinity, Truck, ARCA, and some modified races. With Wing Nation, we cover Wing Sprint Car Racing. I do Tuesday Night Legends Racing at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I do Micros and Box Stocks out at Millbridge Speedway. Then I do some pay-per-view with late model stock racing on asphalt in the Carolinas. Those are all the things that I work in and I love every one of them. My guilty pleasure is dirt late model racing. Dirt late model racing is the one series where I refuse to work anything in it. I actually turn down a pay-per-view gig because I'm like, I've got to keep something where I'm just a fan. I've got to keep one aspect of where I'm just a fan. So for instance, a couple of weeks ago, there was a Saturday night race at Lancaster Speedway, which is a half mile dirt track southeast of Charlotte. And then one of the historic great late model races is at Cherokee Speedway in Gaffney, South Carolina. The Blue Gray 100 pays 20 grand to win. And they had these two paired up. And I literally like lived for that weekend Got up Saturday morning, did my thing, went to the track, paid my money, had my cooler, went in and sat down and watched the late models. They were great. They started the show early, so it was a cold November evening, but we were out of there at 7.30, home, restocked the cooler, got up, went and tailgated over at Cherokee, paid my money, went in and sat there and watched the dirt late models. So I really enjoy the dirt late model racing, and I've traveled to the uh, western part of North Carolina for some dirt late model races. There's a couple of other bucket list races that I'm going to get to, but I'm really working diligently not to get involved in it. I want to keep that as my fandom. I'm starting to actually know some of the drivers and which ones I follow and which ones I like, and there's some incredible racing there. So that's my guilty pleasure, dirt late models. Have you gotten behind the wheel of any of the race cars? Have you been on track? Years and years ago, when I was at Five Mile Point Speedway, I was writing for Gator Racing News up there out of Syracuse. I did a media race, and I learned really, really early that I was not cut out to be a race car driver because I am the most calm, mild-mannered person on the planet. In that 10-lap media race, every little infraction or that I thought was an infraction toward me became an offense that I wanted to wreck the guy in the spot. I grew horns in that race. And I got out of the car, and my buddy Roger Salai, Rockin' Roger, was his car was driving. And I got out, and he thought I was ready to go whoop somebody. And he thought I was pro-wrestling it. And I got out, and he said, you're really pissed off, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. He said, stop, stop, stop. And we decided right then over a couple of beers that that might be my one and done as far as driving goes. No, uh, <laughs> don't need to get fighting and scrapping going on here because I'm not a fighter. Man, that got the juices flowing in a way that I've never had anything in my life took over like that. That was an interesting 10 laps of my life. So in part one of your story, you took us on this journey 
from the late 60s, early 70s, all the way through 2017. And you see so much evolution, not only in your person, but in motorsport and the way you tell the story and this encyclopedic knowledge of all these people's places and things. I mean, absolutely incredible. If we just hone in for a second, we target fixate on NASCAR, which you've spent a lot of time in. NASCAR has gone through multiple evolutions over the years and it parallels Formula One. There's even a point at which, you know, they had to say no more tobacco advertising and everything changed. But we find ourselves now with the six or so generation of NASCAR cars, and we can expand upon that a little bit. I want to talk about what you've seen in your time at NASCAR and how you think the sport has changed. Some of the new rules, the new formats. What do you like? What don't you like? I really do like the playoffs that we have. I respect the year-long championship run, and everyone can point out the one that went down to Atlanta with Bill Elliott, Davey Ellison, and Alan Kowicki, but there were also multiple ones that ended three weeks before the season was open with Dale Earnhardt firing the engine at Rockingham and being crowned the champion. So I just think we live in a time where you've got to have those moments. Sports entertainment is not about anticlimactic. It's all about getting that two-minute drive, that ninth-inning home run, four drivers going head-to-head at Phoenix for the championship. So while it's a huge change, and I've enjoyed watching how the teams navigate this, the first round of the playoffs, the round of 16 to the round of 12, that's your base hit round. Don't have any problems. Just knock it out. Get three top 10 finishes. If you have a chance to go win a race, go win a race. Don't put yourself in a bind. When you get down to the round of eight, it's like all hands on deck. We're going to do anything we can in our power to win a race. And so I think that's fascinating the way that that's been navigated and the way teams have successfully or not successfully navigated it. So that's one thing that's changed drastically. I think our race weekends have changed drastically as well. We used to go in on Friday morning, we'd practice for two hours, we'd qualify on Friday afternoon, we'd practice another hour or two on Saturday morning, and then we race on Sunday. And and this all started during COVID, during 2020, since we had that visit. But now we go in on Saturday morning, we have 20 minutes of practice, we qualify right after it, and we tee them up on Sunday, and we race the cars. I think the one constant in NASCAR racing is when something changes, you listen to everybody wringing their hands. This is never going to work. This is never going to work. Four weeks later, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what we do. We practice for 20 minutes. For years and years and years, we practice for hours and hours and hours. Now we practice for 20 minutes. For the Phoenix race, we had a one-hour practice session, and the crew chiefs were like, well, we don't have enough tires. I don't even know what we're going to do. We've got three things we want to try, and we got an hour to try them in. I mean, yes, they enjoyed having the hour of practice, but they just had to reset everything. So the way we do the race weekends now being so compacted is amazing because, I mean, it used to be you were at the racetrack three long days to run one race. Now you're there two days. We learned during COVID we could be there for one day. The problem with that is is that you're selling all these camping programs. You have all the television networks. And they need some kind of content to go. The qualifying shows are a great place to tell stories as well that we can't tell on Sunday afternoon. So I think the race weekends has changed drastically as well. So, you know, when you look at the playoff format, that's been a drastic change. The weekend format, that's been a change. And then where we're going with NASCAR racing. We have raced at the LA Coliseum. Who in the wide world of sports would have ever seen that coming? We have raced on a street course in Chicago. I love the new nature of it. I was talking with a buddy today and I said, you have a mutual friend that's getting married. When are you getting married? I'm getting married the third week of August. Oh, well, I'll be in Michigan. I'm getting married the third week of September. Oh, I'll be in Dover. We lived our life year after year after year with the same schedule. Now, when someone says, 
We're having something going on on April 15th. I have no idea where we're going to be at. And what I think made 2023 so fascinating is we have the new. We have the Chicago Street Race. We continue with the Coliseum. And yet in 2023, we also brought North Wilkesboro back into play. And we went with the old as well with the All-Star Race up there. I think it's fascinating where we're at with the schedule. We're bringing Iowa onto the tour this year, and it's going to be interesting to see where we go with the schedule. You know, are there other coliseums or venues we can race in? There are obviously other street courses we can do. So stay tuned and see where we go with it. And, and I think the other thing is, is, we'll probably know more after this year, is the Coliseum a three-year deal? Is it a four-year deal? And then we go somewhere else for three or four years. Then we come back to the Coliseum in Chicago. It's a three-year agreement. Do we do three years in Chicago and then go do the Meadowlands for three years and then go do Seattle for a year or two and then back to Grant Park in Chicago? This is not your dad's NASCAR, where we went to Pocono twice a year, whether we needed it or not. Now we're all over the map. You know, we're going to Watkins Glen next year in the playoffs in September. I think that's awesome to have that race in September. I just, I love where we're at with the variety in the, in the series and not knowing one year to the next where we're going. So you mentioned the all-star race, which brings back memories of IROC, the international race of champions. Do you miss those days? I lament about how we need to bring IROC back. Yeah, I really did. I loved when you would have Eddie Cheever and Dale Earnhardt arguing at Daytona. You know, Al Unser Jr. slinging it around with A.J. Foyt and Steve Kinzer at Darlington. SRX has attempted to do it, and it's a good attempt, and what they're doing there is fine, but it's not been the IROC series. It's not been the old Jay Signori IROC series, and I would love to see more of that. I think when we look at, uh, and we had a cycle there, a period of time where the Rolex 24 was looking a lot like that. I loved that when we had the Rolex 24 with all the NASCAR drivers and all the IndyCar drivers. We've gotten away from that a little bit. I know AJ Allmendinger's ran it some, and we've gotten away from that a little bit. I don't know that the feasibility of IROC, but to me, it's like the Rolex 24 seems almost like a no-brainer. Why can't we do something there where we get more of the NASCAR drivers? The international crowd is already there. The IndyCar crowd is there to some degree. But to me, it would be really, really cool to see something like that. To me, it seems like the Rolex 24 is a simpler ask and get than maybe a separate IROC series. I think that's a, a little bit heavy lifting that we're going to do. I'm glad you brought that up because that takes us back to 2001, which is a great year and a bad year at the same time. And we had Andy Pilgrim on the show two seasons ago and we talked about his time at Lamar and at Rolex and obviously he was Dale and Dale Jr.'s teammates in the C5R back in 2001. To your point, for me, seeing the Earnhardts and seeing some of the other folks coming over from the other disciplines to run in sports car endurance, it was like, wow, this is a meeting of the greats. And I think 2001 was probably one of the best years for that. I think you're right on that because you did have all of them. Tony Stewart running the Rolex 24. I remember late in the day, he cuts a tire down and he wheels that car on three wheels around the racetrack and saves the day for his team. And so to me, it was like, you'd see these non-NASCAR people, the folks that I'm not familiar with that I read about back in the day in speed sport news, if you will, or the, you would only see on ABC's Wide World of Sports or the Indy 500 coverage. And I think that that was a fascinating time. And I would love to see us get back to that. I don't understand. And especially what really strikes me is the lack of NASCAR involvement in the Rolex 24, especially with the proliferation of road courses in the NASCAR schedule now. Back in 2001, there was two road courses. You know, there was Watkins Glen and Sonoma, and yet everybody from NASCAR was running the Rolex 24. Well, why are we running it? We're running it because it was a race, it was a trophy, and we wanted to win. 
it's fascinating to me that now we have seven road course races and nobody goes and runs the Rolex 24, which would seem to me backward. It would seem to me like everybody would want to get a ride at the Rolex 24 to get some left and right experience. But the other thing is, is that our young drivers have so much left and right experience between coming up through the ranks and running Trans Am and TA2 is TA2 is the hotspot right now. Ford's development program and Chevy's development program have such a road course emphasis that these young drivers, the Austin Cindricks and Chase Briscoe's of the world are very, very good road racers. So maybe that prevents them from thinking they need to go run the Rolex 24. It's kind of a different time, but it's interesting. I would love to see more and more of that integration of the various forms of motorsports take place on the racetrack. You're 100% right. And one of our previous guests, Colin Garrett, came up through the world of Asphalt Oval and the Truck Series and whatnot. And now he finds himself as the Touring Car Champion in World Challenge through SRO. So he's working his way up into IMSA as well, but he wants to be this Swiss Army knife, right? He wants to have all these different backgrounds and these disciplines. That being said, we could turn this whole conversation on its nose here in 2023 by uttering two words, Garage 56. <laughs> Take a NASCAR to Europe. Yeah, I'm the public address announcer at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Among other things, I do the uh, PA address. For the Roval race in October, the guy I work for walks in and says, Rick Hendrick wants to talk to you. And I'm like, Rick Hendrick wants to talk to me. I'm like, what did I say? Did I say something in qualifying? Did I do what? You know, because I'm just a dumb announcer, you know. Rick Hendrick wants to talk to me. And he said, yeah, the Garage 56 car is doing a couple of parade laps. And he wants to make sure you have the bullet points. And I said, his PR people gave me six pages of bullet points. Uh, sequential shift. I know the gear ratios. I know the weight. I know that the mirrors on the side of the car, this, I know everything about, they're going to run two laps. I could talk about this car for 20 laps with everything they gave me. I understand that's Mr. Hendricks PR people. Mr. Hendrick wants to talk to you. So make sure you have it right. And I walked down and I'm supposed to coordinate with a PR person supposed to meet Rick Hendrick in the 24 hauler at 1030 on race morning or whatever time it was. So I walk out and I have those notes and everything there. And I said, hey, and we chit-chatted. I've interviewed him multiple times. He's a wonderful guy. Rick Hendrick, he's a racer that's a successful businessman. He's a great guy. We chit-chatted for a few minutes. He said, I know you have all the bullet points, but I just wanted to make sure that you had the right messaging for this. And I said, well, yeah. I said, you know, I've kind of highlighted this and I've kind of highlighted this and I've kind of highlighted that. And he looks at the sheet and on the bottom of the sheet, it said, Garage 56 brought a lot of American and NASCAR pride from the international motorsports world. And he's looking down the sheet and he looks and he says, my people have this buried at the bottom. This is the lead. This is the only thing you need to talk about. He said, they called it the beast over at Le Mans. When it showed up, everyone was snickering. Everyone was thinking this beast is not going to get around the racetrack. We fired it up and then they were snickering even more, except for it sounded really, really badass. So they were kind of snickering, but kind of like, well, it does sound kind of cool. He said, we put it on the racetrack and it was fast. It was real fast for what we were doing, where we, our expectations were. Then our pit crew members go over and do the pit crew contest. And this is NASCAR style pit crew contest. He says, from snickering to crew members from other teams wanting to come and swap crew uniforms with our crew guys, this thing turned upside down. And he said, and I don't care who you are. He said, when you're an American standing on the start finish line in France and they're chanting USA, 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 he says, it's a special moment. It's a special moment for America. It's a special moment for NASCAR. It was a special moment. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. And he said, 
that's your story. These other details, use them wherever you want to do it, but that is your story. Typical MRN guy. I was covering a race somewhere else. So, I mean, I knew Lamont was happening. I knew what was going on with Garage 56, but wasn't glued to the TV like a lot of people were, which I thought was fantastic. I thought it was great. I, I wasn't glued to it. But after having that conversation with Rick Hendrick, what uh, the other thing is, is just the international interest in NASCAR that we have. And, and yeah, Shane and Ginsbergen coming over certainly didn't hurt anything from the land down under with that. But there's so much interest in NASCAR internationally that was not there. These are kit cars. These are not sports cars. Well, when they put that kit car out on the racetrack and the thing hauled around Le Mans at a very, very good rate of speed, it's like, well, you know what? These are pretty badass cars. My Garage 56 moment was probably not until October, talking to Rick Hendrick about it. And then the exposure, like some of these videos were in the millions of views. He said, that's the exposure for Le Mans. He says that they weren't getting air to that. He said, so it was a win for everybody. Don't know where the program is going beyond the Roval a couple of weeks ago, but what an amazing event. And again, I think where we can integrate, whether it's a Garage 56 at Le Mans or a Kyle Larson in a midget race or anything in between where we can integrate the sport, I think is really, really cool. And that Garage 56 program, everything was so well done and not a shocker. Rick Hendrick, when he signs on to a project, when Chevy signs on to a project, when Goodyear signs on to a project, when NASCAR signs on to a project, Project. We actually talked to Greg Ives over at Hendrick Motorsports. He's next in command behind Chad Knauss overseeing this project. And he shared the same thing being there and how it was a life-changing moment. Greg had been Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s crew chief and crew chief for Alex Bowman and everything else. And he said to be over there and to be part of that was absolutely amazing. Just everything from the driver lineup to the car, to the performance, to the reaction. What an amazing, amazing sequence of events it was back there in June. And you mentioned Van Ginsbergen and the Aussies and gaining their respect. And I think what's interesting about the Garage 56 car is it showed the potential that those cars actually have. They're not the old tube frame kind of Conestoga wagon leaf spring setup that they were forever. You know, the days of Thunder cars where it's like they were the same for the longest time. Now they are more like GT3 cars in a lot of ways. And the Garage 56 car took it there. But I think what got the Aussies attention is it took a NASCAR to the level of what they consider a V8 supercar. Because if you look at the Falcons and the HSV Holdens, those were a step above for a long time than our NASCARs. They were still production-based, things like that. They were awesome cars running around Bathurst, but you never saw them leave the island. When this generation race car came about last year, people said it's probably closest to the V8 supercar from Australia. You know, people always say, well, except for this and except for that, it's easy to do the except fours. And so it's its own car. And, and NASCAR wanted it to be its own car, its own identity. And, and we get all of that. Shane Van Gisbergen, when he came over, it was the perfect sequence for an international event like that. It was a racetrack that nobody had any seat time. It was a street course where he has far more seat time than any of the NASCAR drivers. It was a wet track condition. And it was a car that he was more similar to than he would have been the old 1956 Ford rear end truck arms that we run forever. And so it was a perfect storm. But what an amazing sequence of events. June 15th, approximately, we're in Le Mans with Garage 56. And we get to July 4th weekend and an Australian supercar champ is winning a NASCAR Cup Series race. What a year for NASCAR. What a three-week period it was. And when Shane gets out and talks about how that car drove and how that car raced and how it went and everything like that, 
I don't necessarily care for all of the stock parts. I'll just be honest with you. I like the engineers and the crew chiefs to have a little creativity. I also get why we don't have that because enforcing it and policing it becomes a whole lot of gray area. I get why we do it. I'm not necessarily sure that I'm in favor of it. I like a little creativity and ingenuity. But I talked to Mike Rockefeller as well, and he said, this car is just incredible to drive. You guys take for granted this car that is just a stock car. He says, this car is absolutely amazing. And so when you have guys like Rockefeller and, and Shane and Jensen Bunn has talked about the car as well, because he had some starts, and you talk about that, and it's like, you know, it's probably pretty good. It's probably a pretty cool beast that we have here for this generation of race car. Then we had a want-want moment this year in NASCAR. We brought over famed Formula One driver, Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not all going to win at Chicago. But this is what I love where we're at with NASCAR is we have team owners like Justin Marks that's willing to do this Project 91 car. That's what Kimi drove. It actually, what was weird was that his first effort at our Watkins Glen last, or two years ago, or, or 2022, was better than what it was when he ran it this year. But I think that's racing. I think that there's so much involved with racing. When you have guys like Kimi or Shane or any of them, they get out and they're just freaking coded going nine wide into turn number one. Shoot, NASCAR drivers have never seen that. There's just such a uniqueness to NASCAR style of racing. And I think in some areas, it jumps out as a good thing. And other areas, it's like, oh, that's a little more difficult. But the Project 91, I really can't wait to see where this goes. And there's other teams that have the international development programs as well. And it's going to be fun to see who else might climb aboard some of these cars as we go forward. The problem is Shane Van Gisbergen, and he kind of set the bar pretty high for this thing. And I'm not sure. I think he's a very talented race car driver. I think that's a really, really good team. If there's practice, I think that gets a little bit weird. If it's dry, I think it gets a little bit different. Not to take anything away from him. He is a Cup Series winner, and he earned that Cup Series race. And all respect in the world to him for winning that Cup Series race. But the reality of it is, is the stars did align for him well. As the stars have aligned for NASCAR Cup Series drivers winning Cup Series races in the 75-year history of the sport. It's fascinating times where we're at with NASCAR when you think about it from an international perspective. You mentioned during COVID, things changed again, right? And it's always in a constant flux and growth. But we also introduced, sort of took a shot in the arm to the virtual world. And that brought in iRacing as a replacement for racing at the real tracks because they were all closed. We couldn't be there. Did you find yourself calling races in the virtual world too? I did not do any of that. I've not done any virtual races at all. The TV crew, Fox, they just went with their normal Fox crew when they did those races, which they should have, and we didn't call any radio races. What we did with MRN, we went in a total different direction with MRN and created a whole new product. On Sunday afternoons, we'd put together two-hour classic races, and we started with like nine stations grudgingly taking them. Well, then the next thing you know, 15 stations won. I think now we have a classic race that airs every week and it's distributed to radio stations. I think there's 70 or 80 radio stations that are taking them now. They might run them at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. So we went that way. But when it comes to the virtual stuff, I think the virtual thing was so fascinating. And we got into this also with the world of Outlaws. They were even maybe a step ahead of where NASCAR was. I don't remember. It all runs together now. Comparable time-wise, because we were in that short window of time in 2020. What it did was, first off, it was entertaining. Those early days of COVID, we didn't know if we were all going to live or we're going to die. Couldn't go anywhere. If you had to go somewhere, everyone was masked up. Nobody wanted to talk to anybody. Nobody wanted to do anything. And here it is on our TVs. Here is NASCAR on our TVs running virtually. Here is 
Alex Bowman's dog tripping over the outlet and unplugging his system while he's leading the race. The drivers and the commentators all being able to play on social media as well, I think it was fascinating. Obviously, what it did for iRacing was, you want to talk about buying a Super Bowl ad for iRacing, this was a Super Bowl ad times thousands for iRacing because then everybody was on it. Everybody was playing the games and we gathered together on, I think it was Wednesday nights for these iRacing events that we had until we could get up and running at Darlington of all places to get back to running. But the iRacing thing was absolutely amazing. And again, where we were at as a society, we just wanted to not be hunkered down and scared to death for two hours. And that's where NASCAR really filled a gap with the NASCAR fans is you literally would have CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whoever your news source is. You would have those on for 22 hours, but you had that two hours of Fox with NASCAR coverage where instead of seeing the latest numbers from the CDC and seeing this and seeing that, you were literally laughing because Bowman's dog did this and Boyer was drinking beer and got hammered on the broadcast and forget what happened to Denny Hamlin. Something happened with him where one of his kids came down and flipped the switch on the TV or something. And what they did though is also showcase the personality of the drivers. I'm sure it didn't hurt some of their personality when fans started to see that, you know, I kind of thought that guy was a little bit of a jerk, but then when you see this and you see that, he's kind of a cool guy. And I think they did a really nice job with it. The virtual racing during that time period was amazing. Yeah, it humanized them, that's for sure, right? Because a lot of times they're the figure on the poster and you idolize them for their feats and their triumphs and even their defeats. But to see them vulnerable in their own home, it's a whole different story where they become very real. Yeah, it really was. You see them in their own homes. We met Alex Bowman's dogs. Alex Bowman dog cost him a race win. We got to put the personalities and you'd get out of that and you'd be like, that was funny. And this guy, and that was hysterical that this guy did that. And that guy did that. And it was really, really good at a time where we needed really, really good. There was two hours of entertainment on Wednesday nights that was much needed for where we're at as a, as a culture, as a society at that point. When you look at your bigger story and how COVID plays into it, you know, as I got through part one, you basically started to tell everybody, you know, my life has finally settled down, the turbulence that was there up until that point, it's all good. And then COVID hits and here we go, we're shaking it up all over again. Now, as we're on the other side of it, do you find yourself finally sort of stabilized? But also what else is going on? First and foremost, big picture NASCAR. I find it absolutely amazing and ironic that of all places, Darlington brought us back from COVID. Darlington, 20 years ago, lost the Southern 500. They're going to shut the place down. It's going to be over. It's going to be done. And this is bigger than NASCAR. The Darlington race was the first sporting event in COVID. That grand old racetrack brought us back from COVID. And so we came back from COVID. And yeah, you're right. It upset everything. My instructions when I went to Darlington is you go in the infield, you get your gear off from the truck, you go to your turn position, you don't talk to anybody, you don't say anything to anybody, you go to your turn position and you leave your gear there and you get in the car and you go the hell home. That's what I was told to do. What we had was we had a North Carolina-based crew, Alex Hayden and Dave Moody in the booth. I was in the turn, Dylan Welch was in the turn, and Kim Coon was on pit road. We were all Charlotte-based. Well, all the races for the first month were all Martinsville's and Darlington's and drive-by places. We would go, we would never drive together and do those races on our own, drive four and a half hours to Atlanta to do an hour and 15 minute truck race to drive four and a half hours back home. 
Don't stop anywhere. Don't see it. So what was funny about it is, is we went a phase where Alex, Dave, and I, we were the three that did every one of those races. Alex, Dave, and I did six weeks worth of races and never saw each other. Never saw each other because we were instructed, you go home. It was fascinating from that perspective, what COVID did as far as the MRN broadcast goes and the scheduling goes. Andy Petrie, the longtime competition director at Richard Childress Racing, they told him they were going to go to Darlington and, and race with no practice. He said, that's going to fail. That's going to be the biggest mistake we ever made. We're going to be the first sporting event back and we're going to look like a bunch of buffoons. The ringing of the hands, that's what it was. 20 laps into the race when everyone is wheeling it around Darlington and everything is good. So COVID was fast. Fascinating from that perspective. It really, truly was. The other perspective I have on COVID was we were running Tuesday night truck races at Martinsville and Saturday afternoon truck races at Atlanta. And we were at Charlotte Motor Speedway doing this. I don't know where I'm at. You get up the next day and it's like, okay, I got a truck race tomorrow. I got to do notes. I got this. I got to do that. I have a friend that is a basketball commentator for the University of Kentucky, or he was at the time. He's still up there. And so he sent me a note. How are you doing? So I called him. I said, dude, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. I'm wore out. I've got so many races. I'm just going crazy. This is unreal. Not complaining, running us into the ground. And so finally, after I just about being busy for like five minutes to him, I come up for air and I said, so how are you? And he said, a whole lot different than you. And I said, why is that? And he said, if the SEC decides not to play football this year, I'm unemployed. I'm like, well, you don't do football. He said, no, but football in the SEC pays for everything else. And if the SEC decides not to play football this year, I'm unemployed. I'm like, oh, so I guess me whining about all my work is probably not necessarily what you needed to hear today. We had a good chuckle over it and everything like that. So I'll never forget that COVID time period. And what that was and, and how that changed the sport, how it changed Zoom calls. Prior to COVID, nobody did Zoom calls. During COVID, that's how we did all of our media sessions was via Zoom call. We still use the Zoom call regularly, frequently. So um, as far as we went through COVID, and, and you're right, things have settled down a little bit now. We're back into the routine of NASCAR. And this year, I've enjoyed my NASCAR time this year, maybe more than any other year. First and foremost, I love traveling. So I'm, I'm grateful that I still have the love for traveling. Next year, I'm even going to enhance that a little bit by going into town a few days early. So I've targeted a few races and one of them is Watkins Glen. I'm going to come up on, on Wednesday morning because in September, the Finger Lakes region, Watkins Glen, there is some wineries, there are some breweries, there's some hiking, there's some places that I'm going to check out. When I look at this year, the NASCAR stuff was a blast. It just was really fun. We had the new, the old, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Michael McDowell winning races. Just when you thought you understood what was going on, the wheels would fall off from somebody and, you know, you'd be like, well, I guess they're not there. Beyond that, probably since 2017, I've added kids racing. I do stuff at Millbridge Speedway, which is a great little dirt track that runs a kids program. And this is where the Brexton Bushes and the Owen Larsons and all of the kids, they run these little box stock carts. And on a Tuesday night, we'll have 100 kids out there racing cars. So I do that program is what I've added to it. And the other thing I probably added from a racing perspective, I've added some health and fitness projects that I'm doing. I'm dabbling with my own blog site called Postman 68. The 68 is for Pete Cordes, as a matter of fact. I'm working on that. I've got two or three different ideas. This is never going to be NASCAR.com. It's never going to be huge. It's little things that I enjoy. Started writing, started blogging and, and writing some columns, and I really enjoy that. 
I've got a couple other things I'm going to do and just kind of develop that a little bit. So uh, it's out there at postman68.com. It's funny. I get working on one thing and I get behind on another. I have my race count on there. I was, I'm at 129 races this year. I haven't got caught up with that. So I need to spend some time to get caught up with all of that and really to share my passion for short track racing. I absolutely love the short track world. I'm so blessed to get to work within NASCAR, but I also get to go to short tracks. The Blue Gray 100 I went to at Cherokee was race number 129 of this year that I've been to. Last year, I actually went to 160 races. I vowed I would never do that again because that just became a stupid obsession. So doing all of that, the short track stuff, in some pay-per-view work, Postman 68, Wing Nation, and MRN. Between all of that, I mentioned right off the top, I mentioned about losing 60 pounds. I'm actually running, training. I'm doing a half marathon in February, doing a lot of that as well. Between all of that, it takes the 28 hours in every day and fills most of them up. That's for sure. Every story, Postman, I am always left going, wow, I don't know how you do it. And you know, I thought I talked fast and I thought I jammed a lot of stuff in a five pound bag, but you got me beat. That's incredible. I have to ask, here we are, where is he now we know where you're at but what's next for steve post enjoy the ride you know i'm that little kid that announced my matchbox cars that i shared back in 2017 i think part of it is just that i'm that guy that caught my dream first and foremost i'm a radio guy i don't even own a television and there are about six or eight people on the planet that make a living calling NASCAR races on radio. And I'm one of them. That's something to be grateful for. And so I really have worked hard to enjoy the ride, enjoy my passions with sprint cars, enjoy my passions with short tracks, enjoy my passions with running and health and fitness. If I'm going to do this and enjoy it, I might as well uh, try to live a little bit longer and enjoy it a little bit longer as well. I'm at a really good spot. Our leadership at MRN, it's never been bad, but there is a significant level of respect that we have from our leadership at MRN. If you have the respect, to the people you work for. Boy, I'm telling you what, life gets a whole lot easier. I could use a few more bucks in the quarterly pay. Yeah, it'd be nice if they'd give me first class tickets on a plane instead of steerage where I end up going. But the bottom line of it is, is that we're at a really good spot with our team. So here's a fascinating little MRN factoid. If it's Jason Toy and I on pit road, I'm the new guy at MRN at 21 years. 21 years. We have people that have been there for more than 30 years. We have Alex Hayden, Jeff Striegel, Dave Moody, Mike Bagley, part-timers Kurt Becker, Dan Hubbard, Jason Toy have all been there longer than I have been. I'm the new kid at 21 years. Now we've added Kim Coons and Dylan Welches and Chris Wilner. We've added some really good young people. I think that's part of it too. I love the guys I work with. It's so fascinating this time of year because we get done with Phoenix and we don't want to talk to each other. We don't want to see each other. We're sick of each other. We're never going to talk to that person again. And then usually about Thanksgiving morning, someone will send a note. Hey, you big dumb turkey. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, the next thing you know, the barbs flying and everyone is doing it. I think that's what's next is just I'm very, very fortunate with who I work with, who I work for, what I get a chance to do, where I get a chance to go. Kids are great. Life is good. I'm just uh, sitting back and enjoying the ride. That's for sure. So, Steve, you mentioned something really, really important, and it's fundamental to this show as we try to inspire young petrol heads trying to find their way in what we call the autosphere. And you mentioned more than once that you've caught your dream. So if a young person came up to you and said, Steve, how do I get your job? What piece of advice would you give them? Get a microphone in your hand and start talking. It sounds really, really elementary, whether it's high school volleyball or your local short track or college softball 
get a microphone in your hand because inevitably when you talk for a living, there's that catchphrase that's going to be the greatest catchphrase in all of the world. You're going to get your Keith Jackson, oh, Nelly. And then you say it the first time and it's not nearly that good. Well, you get that out of the way and then you're going to learn some other phrases, but get microphone in your hand. If you want to be a broadcaster of any kind, get a microphone in your hand. We live in a fascinating time. Back when I was a kid, you had to get a job at the radio station. Now with podcasting and blogging and vlogging and social media, there's so many neat opportunities. Get out there and start telling the story, start doing it. And boy, the other thing is, and this goes back to Barney Hall, our legendary iconic broadcaster, our lead voice of MRN for years and years and years. Get in the garage area and do your homework. I do all my notes during the week so that I don't have to sit there on race morning doing my notes so that I can be in the garage area talking to crew chiefs or talking to drivers or doing things. So roll up your sleeves and have fun. Motorsports is supposed to be fun. I know sometimes we work diligently at making it not fun. Everybody in this sport, we work hard at making it not fun. But you know what? If you're having a good time, you're likely going to have success with it. I tell everybody, have fun with it. Just yuck it up, have fun with it, and enjoy it. And I love new people coming into the sport. There's going to be one of them that's going to take my job someday, and I may not necessarily like that person at that time. But you know what? Up until then, I love all the young people coming in the sport and everyone trying to follow your dreams. That's the whole thing. You follow your dreams and you catch it. It's well worth it. It really truly is. I can speak from experience. Well, Steve, we've reached that part of the episode where I'd like to ask my guests any shout outs, promotions or anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered thus far. I'm just so, so fortunate. And I have so many good people around me professionally and personally. And the shout out is to the young person that's trying to pursue their career gig, whether it's an announcing gig or whether it's a driving gig or whether it's a mechanic gig or whether it's an official gig, get out there and do it. Get out there and do it. Life is meant to be lived. That's for sure. Steve Post is currently one of the Pit Road reporters on MRN's race coverage. He's the co-host of Wing Nation, an audio and television program covering sprint car racing. He's the weekly contributor to Raceline, a nationally syndicated motorsports television program. And for the past 20 years, he has been the lead announcer for the popular summer shootout series at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He also hosts many corporate hospitality events over the course of the year at tracks and events away from the track. So if you'd like to learn more about Steve, be sure to visit stevepostcommunications.com or follow him on social media at thepostman68 on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget about his new website, postman68.com. And with that, Steve, I can't thank you enough for coming on Break Fix and wrapping up your story here with part two. You know, you talked a lot about Pete Cordes and how he changed your life and he was your hero. I want to take a moment to remind you that don't forget that you're a hero to many petrol heads out there as well in various disciplines of motorsports. And on behalf of all those folks, I have to say it's been an honor to share your story. Really great to catch up with you. Thank you for the kind words and I'm fortunate and I think I understand a little bit of that and I appreciate it. I'm just a kid from Halstead, Pennsylvania that's living my dream. This episode is brought to you in part by the International Motor Racing Research Center. Its charter is to collect, share, and preserve the history of motorsports spanning continents, eras, and race series. The center's collection embodies the speed, drama, and camaraderie of amateur and professional motor racing throughout the world. The center welcomes serious researchers and casual fans alike to share stories of race drivers, race series, and race cars captured on their shelves and walls and brought to life through a regular calendar of public lectures and special events. To learn more about the center, visit www.racingarchives.org.
This episode is also brought to you by the Society of Automotive Historians. They encourage research into any aspect of automotive history. The SAH actively supports the compilation and preservation of papers, organizational records, print ephemera and images to safeguard, as well as to broaden and deepen the understanding of motorized, wheeled land transportation through the modern age and into the future. For more information about the SAH, visit www.autohistory.org. We hope you enjoyed another awesome episode of BrakeFix Podcast, brought to you by Grand Tory Motorsports. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or get involved, be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Grand Touring Motorsports. And if you'd like to learn more about the content of this episode, be sure to check out the follow-on article at gtmotorsports.org. We remain a commercial-free and no annual fees organization through our sponsors, but also through the generous support of our fans, families, and friends through Patreon. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can get access to more behind-the-scenes action, additional pit stop minisodes, and other VIP goodies, as well as keeping our team of creators fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gumby Bears, and Monster. So consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without you, none of this would be possible.